Before I get started on today's Mortcast, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, which is located right in the middle of the Dairy Block, between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. A uh, great place to find Pinot, great place to, uh, you know, there, I even had a Cabernet blend that was really, really good. If you're a wine snob like me, or even if you're not, and you kind of want to dip your toes into the experience of wine, tasting wine, uh, just the, the whole color auteur that surrounds uh, wine, uh, Blanchard Family Wines, is one of the best, and maybe not the best place in Denver, Colorado, to find. They are uh, have their own vineyards, which are located in the Russian River Valley in California, uh, and they directly uh, send the bottles uh, of the wine from that uh, those vineyards to Denver in order to really get the... Uh, uh, get the freshness right and get the uh, get the experience of well having well vineyard owned wine that is uh, family owned and uh, exported right there to to uh, Denver. Let's face it, if you um, the only kind of experience that kind of matches this is in Grand Junction, um, and that is 250 miles away. I mean, this is the closest you're going to get in Denver, Colorado to really experiencing what it's like to, to be around wine, wine tasting, and uh, family wine experience. Uh, once again, they are located in the middle of the dairy block, basically right smack dab in the middle, uh, between 18th and 19th and Blake and Boisee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Uh, go ahead and go in and check out. Uh, they got great, uh, like, a, like a charcuterie selection, which is basically meats, cheeses, like a tapenade, and they will, the wait staff will give you a great idea of what to pair with to make sure that you're experiencing the whole palate. Um, I enjoyed myself, uh, and I know several people who work there. Uh, it's a great place to go. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, today is going to be a CSG special. Uh, this is, I may break this into two parts. Uh, we're going to be talking about the 20th anniversary of the Pepsi Center opening. Can you believe it? I personally can't. It's, as someone who grew up with McNichols Arena, uh, it is hard for me to believe that of my 41 years on this planet, 20 of them have been taken uh, up by the Pepsi Center. Uh, it's remarkable. It's amazing. Uh, and its gestation and its and the beginnings of Pepsi Center are interesting, uh, more interesting than you would think. Um, and it really begins when a desperate David Stern. And by the way, this is kind of leaps. This is, think think of this as kind of a side episode. To uh, I'm going to have in about oh September. Maybe late September, I'm going to be going through a series of uh, podcasts about the Peter Bino Bertram Lee Comsat ownership of the Denver Nuggets. It's been 30 years uh, since the Peter Bino and Bertram Lee purchased the Denver Nuggets, and uh, I will go through a, a, a an extensive history, more extensive than my articles, about uh, what that meant and what it means today and their legacy. But this is kind of an extension of that whole thing. And it features um, a desperate David Stern wanting to r- revive um, a, a, cat- a potentially catastrophic situation with the Denver Nuggets and, 
uh, bringing in from the Minnesota Timberwolves, the guy who'd only been there two years, Tim Lywicki. Uh Tim Lywicki was really close to the league, and he had a great reputation in the league. And he uh, took over as the Denver Nuggets uh, team president, and then later the uh, president of Ascent, uh, Ascent Entertainment Group when they uh, divested and diversified into uh, a sports holding slash entertainment company. The, the Denver Nuggets at that time uh, were, of course, going through major troubles, um, and Lywicki, without, I will cover this in my anniversary issue for Bino and Lee, really righted the ship financially. And he is the one responsible for bringing in Rocky, who is still going strong to this day. Another thing that he was largely responsible for is getting the ball rolling for uh, what became the Pepsi Center. Um, in about 1993, Liwicki started dropping hints uh, that he would like a better venue than McNichols Sports Arena. Uh, McNichols Big Mac, as we all knew it, was basically a utilitarian arena that was built in the mid-70s. Uh, at the time, it was it was the biggest, one of the biggest arenas in basketball, I think, next to Madison Square Garden. Um, and the Nuggets in the mid-70s, all the way up to the late 70s, were led the ABA and NBA in attendance. And it was largely due to McNichols being larger than everyone else and the Nuggets having really great fans at the time. And But by 1993, despite um, upgrades that Sidney Schlenker, the Nuggets' former owner, did, um, which included a couple of restaurants, and one of them didn't last very long, uh, and upgrades to the scoreboard and seating. By 1993, they, McNichols had fallen way, way, way behind. Um, one of the pinnacles of McNichols Sports Arena was having the NCAA championship in 1990, which featured uh, uh, the UNLV running Rebels beating the Duke Blue Devils by 30. Um, and it was also notable, for whatever reason, for Brent, for being Brent Musburger's last uh uh, thing he did on CBS. Uh, That's one of the two. That's the two things that is notable. That event is notable for. Um, regardless, the the Lywicki had seen that the the arena just wasn't going to cut it, and it was owned by the city. And he began kind of dropping hints and talking about the need for a new arena. All the way back then. Uh, he teamed later with uh, Phil Anschutz for kind of a lobbying effort, effort into getting a new arena in Denver. Um, this was aided tremendously by the Nuggets' miracle run in 1994 when they defeated the Seattle Supersonics and took the uh, uh, Utah Jazz coming all the way back from 03 down uh, in 1994. Uh, they really spurred the next year, and that's the, the next year is where you saw the fruits of, of what had the miracle run, is the Nuggets in the 94-95 season, despite all the turmoil that happened during that season, uh, averaged a sellout for the last time in their history. Um, they did in the mid-70s, all the way up to 1978, and then again in 1994-95, and then that was the last time 
the last time the Nuggets ever averaged a sellout. Um, but that average of a sellout really went a long way to kind of pushing out a good vibes about the occupant of McNichols Sports Arena. And the idea was to look at McNichols Sports Arena not as a public funding thing, but a, as a private thing. And that was very much a Lywicky thing. And he had trouble convincing the ascent by this time. Uh, the, uh, the ComSat had div- divested the Denver Nuggets into a separate um, organization called Ascent. And uh, they were looking, and Lywicky specifically was looking to give them reasons to, uh, to fund an arena. Uh, and this entailed bringing the Colorado Avalanche into Denver. Yes, my friends, a lot of the reason the Avalanche are a part of Denver, well, first of all, there was a great deal at the time, um, and <clears throat> it became a you-can't-pass-it-up situation. But uh, Liwicki's ult- ultimate motive was to convince the Ascent shareholders to fund a new arena, which would have been the crown jewel of his project. So in 1995, Liwicki uh, brings the Avalanche into Denver. And, well, the Nordiques into Denver, which later became the Avalanche. Uh, and it was all part of a project to get Ascent shareholders to per, to uh, get to fund a new arena. The process of getting this done was uh, was has been covered in other places and in fact uh, we're coming up on 24 years since the avalanche have come into Denver. I, sus- I, I suggest following my friend Terry Fry or uh, several other hockey writers if you want to talk to them about the history of the avalanche. It really is kind of a neat collision of circumstances. Well, the avalanche came into Denver, and they immediately had success. This neatly coincided with the Denver Nuggets going in the tank. And it, it was very fortunate that when the uh, Nordiques came over to Denver that they were able to be successful immediately because without the success of the Denver Nuggets uh, attendance in 94-95 and uh, the Avalanche winning a Stanley Cup immediately when they get into Denver, I doubt that the Ascent shareholders would have approved funding uh, 85% of a new arena. Additionally, uh, after... Shortly after bringing uh, the Avalanche to Denver, uh, Tim Liewicki goes to Phil Anschutz. Phil Anschutz offers him the moon, and uh, Liewicki leaves Ascent and joins AEG and becomes the, uh, I believe, the second in command or the first in command, or sort of some, whatever arrangement he had with uh, Phil Anschutz. As as basically the man who ran all the sports enterprises in L.A. Um, for Phil Anschutz. And he leaves and basically leaves kind of a hole, and the arena pursuit kind of went dormant. Uh, in comes a man named Charlie Lyons, who, was, who became the head of Ascent. Uh, meanwhile, the Denver Nuggets are just tanking. 
and it, it's it's it really it's and when I say it's fortunate that the Avalanche were successful, it's fortunate in this way. The Avalanche constantly lost money. Um, and hockey has never been a money making business. It's expensive to produce. It's expensive to maintain ice. It's expensive to run, and the I believe the financial split was some, something like 75% players, 25% owners at that time. Something like that. It was something, some ridiculous number. Um, and it just was never financially what the NBA was. The NBA always made, when it was done well, made a ton of money when it was done. Uh, you know, with the expertise that was needed. And the <laughs> for the longest time, the Denver Nuggets were not expertly run. Um, and so the Avalanche, even though they were successful and they were averaging a sellout, they never really made any money. Um, the Denver Nuggets went in the tank, in, and just it was, it was a weird financial situation. Charlie Lyons thinks, okay, we do definitely need an arena, begins talking to the city of Denver on locations, um, convincing the Ascent shareholders to foot the bill was exceedingly difficult until in 1996 they decide to fund a movie starring Harrison Ford. And it, uh, no one knew at the time it would become what it became. But uh, this movie, because Ascent fancied themselves uh, movie producers, and that would factor in later when they decided to, when Liberty Media, their future owner, decided to divest and sell off their sports properties. Um, Ascent really wanted to be movie producers, uh, Charlie Lyons included. And uh, what happened was they invested in a, and produced, executive and and produced a movie called Air Force One uh, with Gary, Gary Oldman and Harrison Ford. This movie was a summer blockbuster in 1997. Uh, coincidentally, um, that basically saved the bacon of the arena pursuit and uh, gave the Colorado Avalanche enough financial cushion in order to sign Joe Sackick. Um, it is amazing how that movie and, and their production of that financing and production of that movie uh, basically uh, allowed the Pepsi Center to be built and the uh, um, Avalanche to sign Joe Sackick. It was amazing. Um, and it was very lucky. Uh, very lucky for many different reasons. So... Uh, with the financial uh, part of that uh, salted away, the uh, Ascent shareholders <clears throat> in the city of Denver agreed on a location, which was going to be in the Auraria Parkway, <clears throat> right off the Auraria Parkway, uh, in, uh, and Spear, on a place that was known, a property that was known as the Tivoli. Now, the Tivoli is still there. But that uh, the Tivoli owned a ton of that property, or owned was was part of a part of that property. There it was known as the Tivoli area, um, and they were able to. The city of Denver cut a ingenious deal 
to where they allowed Ascent to use the land without owning it. Uh, the city of Denver still owns it. Uh, and they uh, kind of co-opted a deal to where while Ascent owned the property, they didn't... Um, they owned the actual entity that was on the property, kind of like a McDonald's, right? You know, actually not really like McDonald's because McDonald's owns the property and then they get franchisees. This is a little different. The city of Denver owned the land and they allowed Ascent to own the building that it's on. So they get charged whatever amount of property taxes and the uh, city of Denver makes out like a bandit without giving up the property. Uh, I believe that arrangement still exists to this day. Um, I could be wrong, but I think that's probably what it is. Um, so <laughs> they begin the process of putting the Pepsi Center into Denver. Um, it uh, was interesting that they were able to even get it in there. Uh, this coincided weirdly with Pat Bolin uh, basically uh, doing something that, that the Nuggets never did, uh, the, or Ascent never did which was hold the city of Denver hostage uh, in order to get a new uh, stadium. Uh, Pat Boland started agitating for a new stadium right around 1995, 96, right, right around the same time uh, the, the Avs and the Nuggets were uh, looking to get, uh, Ascent was looking to get a new arena. And finally, I don't remember exactly when it was approved, but I think it was somewhere around the same time that uh, Ascent got the property from from the city of Denver. And uh, it, it was amazing. And I think with the Broncos, it was largely due to the Super Bowls that they were able to, at least the first one, that they were able to get, uh, get a new stadium approved. With the Nuggets uh, and the Avalanche, uh, I believe the city only accounted for 15% roughly Roughly, maybe a little more, little, maybe between 15 and 20% of the funding. The rest was a cent. And there were some cost overruns, and there was some issues that the, uh, that the um, arena had. But it was slated to be opened uh, in August of 1999. And lo and behold, it did open. And... Uh, McNichols Arena, the old, the old McNichols Arena was, uh, and it actually McNichols was only 24 years old when they demolished it, um, and it was uh, demolished to make way for, ironically, the Broncos' new stadium. And uh, uh, any of you who are old-time Denver people remember, Mile High Stadium and McNichols Arena used to sit right next to each other, um, and. Uh, it's it's weird to think about now, and uh, the time that Pepsi Center has been open, there's been uh, and, and we have discussed it. When it was built, uh, it was built with uh, because they were more successful at the time. It was built with hockey in mind, and what that meant was a sight lines um, the steepness of the arena 
and just how massive it is, which was... Now, to give the, the developers some credit, this was built during a time, like Staples Center is really similar too, where all arenas were really big. They wanted the seating capacity to be enormous uh, to increase the footprint, quote-unquote, um, without thinking what, what's the modern arena is smaller and has more amenities around it, like restaurants, you know, cool things. Some of the people like the L.A. Live thing in, in L.A., they really like that sort of thing. Uh, in, but there's nothing around Pepsi Center, and uh, that was one of the I think mistakes that the developers made is they're not developing around Pepsi Center. Um, but I do think the the uh, outside of Elitch's now, which Stan Kroenke uh, owns, uh, I think the city still owns the property to the um, to the uh, east of uh, Pepsi Center. Anyway, um, we the uh, Pepsi Center came in, and it was it was like hockey was the big thing, and because the Nuggets sucked. <laughs> now one has to wonder if the Nuggets were better, if the Nuggets had um, a better team, if the Nuggets did just in general a better job of putting together good teams around the time what the thing would have looked like. Um, I, 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 we don't know. Added to the fact that the um, Nuggets and Avalanche ownership situation immediately went into flux right after the arena was, built, was uh, designated to be built in 1997. Um, the Ascent... Uh, was acquired, sold to um, Liberty Media, which was headed by uh, a guy named Malone, who was also a Denver billionaire, like Phil Anschutz. But at the time, Liberty Media didn't want anything to do with sports ownership. Uh, Now they own the Atlanta Braves. But back then, uh, they didn't want anything to do with sports ownership. So they immediately put the avalanche... Um, Nuggets and the yet-to-be-completed Pepsi Center up for sale as it was being built. <laughs> this is, tells you how screwy the Nuggets ownership, uh, Nuggets and Avalanche ownership situation was in the late 90s. For three straight years, no one knew who was going to own the team. Uh, imagine trying to do anything and form a team during that time. It's amazing the Avalanche were as successful as they were, I'll be honest with you. But since they had put up, they've been put up for sale. They Nuggets went through, I think, three different owners. Uh, Bill Lori, um, and Bill Lori was uh, was kind of cast aside, and Bill Lori is Stan Kroenke's brother-in-law. Um, and uh, Stan Kroenke's wife's husband. If I think it still makes it his brother-in-law. Um, <laughs> And uh, then, uh, most importantly, when the Pepsi Center was actually built, Donald Sturm, who was a Denver billionaire, um, was supposed to uh, buy the team. And he came by far the closest of any of the potential suitors beforehand to actually purchasing the team. When Pepsi Center, I was told this by a couple of sources, uh, when Pepsi Center was finally opened in uh, uh, August of 1999, 20 years ago, uh, Lori was supposed to get up there and speak. Well, uh, Bill Lori 
not Bill Laurie, sorry, Donald Sturm. Sorry, did you come to uh, the CSG podcast for our accurate information? Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so when it, Sturm was supposed to speak, and he was had a bunch of, um, he was sweating visibly and looked very uncomfortable. And uh, it turns out that he wasn't particularly comfortable with speaking in public. <laughs> and here he was buying two sports teams. And uh, so he got up and he fumbled his way through the, the Pepsi Center opening in August of 1999. And it was kind of like, it was a weird scene. I kind of remember it. Um, I kind of remember uh, Donald Sturm looking extremely uncomfortable. Um, and I remember, I remember thinking, this guy's going to purchase the Denver Nuggets. Um, and I was told by multiple multiple people, uh, one source in particular who was there that day, uh, and they said that uh, you, you could tell right there that Donald Stern wasn't going to be long for owning this team. And uh, lo and behold, I believe it was just a couple of months later, Donald Stern uh, either pulled out or was uh, rejected by Ascent shareholders uh, from uh, actually purchasing the Denver Nuggets. But he was slated to own the arena and all that, and he just, you could tell at the opening of the Pep Center, he didn't want anything to do with it. It's a funny little story that uh, that uh, goes in, in with the Nuggets' uh, uh, ownership and uh, the opening of the Pep Center, so <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, anyway, I think that, that pretty much sums it up. That's Pepsi Center, man, and that was the that was the gestation and building of the Pepsi Center. And uh, what I uh, want from you guys, anyone who's listening to this, contact me on Twitter at, at jmorton78, and uh, let me know your memories of Pepsi Center or even McNichols uh, Sports Arena. Let me know what you think, what, what you think about uh, uh, um, you know Pepsi Center and your experiences at Pepsi Center and just your memories going back 20 years. I'd love to hear them. Thank you all for joining me. I'll be talking to you later. Goodbye.